podcast. My name is Victoria Smith and I am your host and today we are on episode number 72. So I have been following Kate Flanders and her blog since it was originally named Blonde on a Budget. And at that time she was detailing her experience of getting out of $30,000 of consumer debt. So incredibly, she got herself out of debt in fairly short order, and she tells her readers exactly how she did it, so if you are in debt, check out her blog. And then once debt-free, she got into the habit of spending her discretionary income again. So it's not that she was going into debt, but she wasn't saving any money. So that's when she decided to take on a year-long shopping ban. Now, Kate details the year-long experience and what she learned about her binging behavior in her memoir, The Year of Less. So in this interview, we talk all about what she learned about her why beneath her shopping impulse. We also talk about our shared experiences as adult children of divorce, and it's a topic that I rarely hear discussed, and so I was so glad that Kate was willing to dive into it with me. I really, truly believe that the experience of adult children of divorce is unique and so different from children who are like under 18 that are going through it who are still really in that, in that childhood phase. Now, we also discuss mindful consumption. So it's not just consumption of the purchasing of things, but in terms of everything we consume. Shopping, food, alcohol, Netflix, screen time, media, and so on. We talk about how you can actually shift your behaviors to become a mindful consumer and bring into your life that which adds value to you. So I highly recommend you listen to this interview. It is absolutely fantastic. Now, before we go any further, I just want to let you know that this podcast is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. Now, given that I consider Kate pretty savvy when it comes to social media, one of the things I want to tell you about is a fellow podcast member, and their podcast is called Don't Call Me a Guru. So this is a podcast about social media strategy from Canadian social media strategists, Tyler Jack Butler and Linda Hong. So they they share all sorts of fascinating episodes on trends in social media, what you post when there's nothing to post, uh, social media and self-care, all sorts of different things. Uh, and actually, they, they have a recent episode out on ter- in terms of how do teenagers use social media, which I find really interesting. And I can only imagine how that's going to be different when my child is older and a teenager. Now, the other thing I want to tell you about is obviously ATB, but given that Kate Flanders is a personal finance, you know, guru, (laughs) and you'll find this from her blog, I wanted to tell you about ATB's no fee all in digital bank account. So the best part about it is there's basically no fees as long as you're doing most of your banking digitally, and you also earn interest on higher balances. So that's, you know, that's right. If you've got money that's just sitting in the bank, it should be earning more interest. So everything that we've just talked about, including links to ATB, links to Alberta Podcast Network, links to Kate's book, everything we've chatted about, you can find in today's show notes, which are at girltrieslife.com forward slash podcast forward slash seven two for episode 72. Now, without further ado, let's head over to the interview. Okay, well, thank you so much, Kate, for joining us on the podcast. We're so pleased to have you. Oh my gosh, thank you for asking me to come on. This is awesome. So I've been a follower of your blog for a long time back when it was like blonde on a budget. Uh, so, so we'll definitely link to it in the show notes. But I'm hoping you can tell our listeners a little bit about how you went from writing about sort of saving money to to the year of less shopping ban. Yeah, so I'd say even like backtrack a little just that I started my blog, which was called blonde on a budget in the beginning. 
I started that in 2011 when I was 25, about to turn 26, and I was maxed out with close to $30,000 of consumer debt. So it's, I didn't have like a ton of student loans or anything like that. I, I mean, I had a tiny bit, but it was generally for the most part, like all consumer debt. And that really came from years and years of basically just saying yes to everything and living a lifestyle I absolutely could not afford, but just wanted to, like I wanted to be able to afford those things and very foolishly just sort of swiped for absolutely everything that I couldn't budget for in like my regular income. And so I, you know, I started my blog as a way to just like track my spending and document getting out of debt. Like that was my goal. I wanted to pay off my debt and the blog like served its purpose. I paid off my debt in two years and I learned how to budget. Like I didn't know how to do any of those things, but then I very quickly found that as soon as I was debt free, I actually just basically went back to spending the majority of my income. So I didn't go back into debt, but like, I just spent like basically everything I would be, I would set these goals where I wanted to save 20% of my income, which should have been doable because like, that's an amount I was definitely putting towards debt every month. Um, But the problem was I didn't really have like a goal for that. And so something I've learned about myself is if like, I don't have an actual financial goal, then I'm, I just very quickly start going back to that, like saying yes, or just like mindlessly spending money because I don't have anything that I'm really working towards. And so I, for an entire year of being debt free, I basically spent the majority of my income. Like I, like I said, I was lucky if I was kind of saving 5% of it and yeah, I got to the end of my first year of being debt free and was just like, this doesn't feel good. Like, I don't feel good with how little I've saved. I don't feel good with the fact that I can tell I'm like just sort of justifying what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Like I'm justifying this in, in every blog post that I would write. I'm like, oh, here's like all the reasons why I barely saved anything. Did and your readers been... call you on that or did you just recognize that? Not really. I mean, like, I feel like I had a habit with maybe one or two things that not readers, but one person, he's been like a super long time reader and he, he never like called me on it. He's more, I would call him like a dad figure in the sense that his, his comment was more of one like, Hey Kate, like, have you ever noticed? Like here's, and I can't remember exactly what it was, but kind of like point out, like, here's a habit or two maybe that you have. And like, it was more like him seeing a trend and him just kind of maybe trying to open my eyes to it, but without telling me what I was doing. He's probably the only one and, but otherwise no. And I actually think it's kind of interesting because to me it, now looking back, it sort of shows me like we do this with friends a lot or people in our lives a lot where we sort of just like support the reasons that they say something is good for them. But because I don't know, like we're scared to step on toes, scared to tell them maybe what we think, Mm -hmm. but it can, like in my case, it can probably just like enable people too. So when I think about it, I'm like, there were a lot of people who were like, no problem, Kate, like you're doing great. And I'm like, but I'm not doing great. Yeah, (laughs) I'm doing okay. Like the fact that I can save even 5% of my income is okay because I know that it can take people time to really even get up to five or 10%. So I like, I'm doing okay here, but like, actually, you guys could probably call me on it a little bit more. So no, I I mean, I just based that solely off the fact that I wasn't meeting numbers, like these little targets I was setting for myself. And 
And again, though, the 20% was arbitrary, like because I didn't have a goal, there wasn't really anything to work towards. And so I had no motivation for, for that, which is I was, yeah, just blowing money on stuff I didn't really need. Yeah. And then so you undertook the shopping ban and your first step was to like, bring everything into your living room and like do a huge decluttering. Yeah, it was kind of interesting because I, you know, I decided to that my like, antidote or whatever to this like, fact that I couldn't save really anything was like, I'm going to do this thing where I try not to shop for a year. And it sounds super restrictive at first, like, and parts of it are like, you just don't buy stuff unless you absolutely need it. But at the same time, I also decided to declutter and sort of get rid of anything that I didn't need that I wasn't using that I definitely wasn't using I could potentially sell and like make a little bit of money back. I just went on this like, I don't know, like mass purge, or at least like in the beginning, it was huge. Like in the first two months that I did it, I got rid of, I think, 43 or 46% or something of my belongings. And yes, I know the percentages because (laughs) I am like such a dork that back then I just found that interesting. Like, it's just a numbers thing. I was like, as I get rid of things, I'm also going to track how much stuff I keep. And so I was able to like figure out exactly how much stuff I'd gotten rid of. But it was it was huge up front. Yeah. Oh, that's nuts. And so one of the things is for any of us who are taking on like challenges or resolutions or goals like these, so often we focus on the tactics, like clear out all your stuff or, you know, this is like your list of what you were allowed to buy or what you weren't allowed to buy. But we don't necessarily focus on the why beneath how we got there in the first place. And that's something that you delve into so deeply in the year of yes, in terms of the many sort of different addictions that you've experienced throughout your life, whether it was alcohol or food or shopping that I think so many of us can relate to. So what did you learn through writing about your, your why? Well, it was interesting because when I, like when I started the challenge, I had no idea how deep it was going to end up being for me. I literally started it just being like, I would like to spend less, save more. And I don't know, I I remember saying like, I would love to become a more mindful consumer, but had like no idea what that really meant. I was just kind of making it up. And so those were sort of my goals up front. It was very just financial. It was about the numbers. It wasn't, there was certainly nothing deep to it in the beginning. What I realized pretty early on in doing it and is that Number one, the the hardest part up front was going to be changing habits, which I have learned about myself in the past. So something like you just said that I talk about very openly in the book is the fact that I drank for the first time when I was 12 years old and I decided when I was 27 that I just didn't want alcohol to be um, part of my life anymore. And I say like made that decision because there's this part of me that I don't feel like I was an addict in the sense that like my body was not chemically dependent on alcohol. Like it was not sort of dangerous for me to quit, like without help or anything like that. Um, So if that's a stage people are at, like definitely doing more than I did, like actively seeking out proper medical advice and and looking at the right resources. For me, it was just I had a super unhealthy relationship with alcohol. So I was the kind of person who like I never knew how to have one. That concept was so foreign to me, like even when people would go out for dinner and they'd be like, oh, I'm just going to have a glass of wine my response to that was like, I'm either going to have nothing or I'm going to have like seven glasses of wine. Like I just did not know what it meant 
to me, like having one felt like a waste. Yeah. It, it was so interesting. It's just interesting to look at like the mindset around that. I remember having those feelings of like, why would you waste like five or $7 or something on one drink? Like I, it, it, I don't know. It's so interesting to think of like that, that is somewhere my mind went like one seemed so ridiculous. So if I was going to drink, I was going to drink a lot. And I was basically someone who like, I always binged. I pretty much blacked out almost every time I drank or like, and blackouts were always a little different. Like it was either, you know, I lost maybe an hour or two of time, or it was like, I remember the first hour or two. And then I remember nothing. And at 27, just sort of after multiple attempts or like mini attempts at like saying I was going to be done at 27, I was finally like, no, I'm, I'm really done with this. And the hardest part then it wasn't so much that I couldn't drink. It was that I had so many habits around it. Mm -hmm. And so with the shopping ban, the toughest parts were the first few months because one of my rules was that I couldn't have takeout coffee. And I've done interviews where I've said this, like one of the hardest parts was giving out takeout coffee and they've like laughed at me. And I'm like, no, no, no. Like you don't get it. Like it's not about it like just being so hard to give up takeout coffee. Like that's not it. It's that almost every single day I was in a situation where I was like, oh, I'm not allowed to do this thing that I would always do. Yeah. So what am I going to do instead? And it brought back those same feelings I had like when I quit drinking of just like, oh, like these are times I would normally drink or I would normally go out to a party or I would normally do whatever. And now I'm not allowed to do that anymore. So what am I going to do instead? Yeah. And and so I faced that a lot in the first few months. I mean, as the year went on, it got even deeper just in the sense that I really realized that I was someone who numbed a lot of my feelings and and then can look back and say I've been doing that since I was a teenager. I did it with alcohol, I did it with food, and then it's actually not that surprising to me that I did it with spending, but even more so, or I thought about it even more during that year, like the shopping ban or the year of less, because I went through two things that were really tough emotionally. The first was a breakup um, that for a relationship I was in, and then partway through the year, um, my parents got divorced. And like in both of those instances, I had a lot of feelings around wanting to buy things. I mean, it got a little darker with my parents split up, but definitely with the breakup, I thought about buying things so many times and really realized it was just because I was so used to finding a quick way to numb it and make it feel better. Mm -hmm. And then I couldn't do that. And uh, it was just not an easy year. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and it's, have you read The Power of Habit? Yes. Yeah, well, it's so interesting that you're saying that because, like, it's, like they say in the book, the cue is never going to change. Like, that you're going to have those tough times, you're going to have those, this is what I would normally do. So it's the importance of figuring out what that action is that you're going to replace it with. And, yeah, if you've told yourself no to all these things, like, being very thoughtful about what the replacements will be. So what did you replace shopping with then? Like, what was your... Well, it's interesting because like I have some easy answers for little things. So in a lot of ways, like I wasn't so much a physical shopper. I didn't really go to malls or like things like that so much, but I definitely browsed a lot online. Like honestly now too, if I could like rebrand the whole thing, I don't even know if I would call it a shopping ban so much as like a browsing ban <laughs> because basically that was what I was doing. Like it was just like I stopped looking at online retailers, like unfollowed all um, sort of like retailers on social media like it was this weird thing like oh I like certain brands so I have this feeling inside me where I should be loyal to them and follow them online or something but 
you shouldn't do that. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. the, the only thing that happens when you follow a retailer online is you see more products for things you might want, or you find out about sales for things that, yeah, sales do help. And especially if it's something you're actually going to buy, it does help. But it also just like gives you that scarcity feeling like, oh, I need to buy it now. So I think like upfront, there were just things that because I wasn't browsing, I sort of had, I don't know, a little more energy and time to sort of start doing some things that I enjoyed more. So a lot of it was I started spending a lot more time outside. And I would also say like spending more quality time with friends outside. Mm -hmm. So when friends would ask to like go for coffee or something like that, I was always like, well, how about if we go for a hike or just doing something where we're together still, but it's not necessarily around spending money. The harder parts like the breakup and my parents divorce, I mean, the answer was like, you can't just go for a hike and all of a sudden feel better. Um, the unfortunate part was that like, people are always asking for that sort of like, well, what did you do instead? If you couldn't drink, if you couldn't shop, and I don't have a good answer. Like the answer is that that year was the first year I think I really felt hard feelings. Mm -hmm. And I cried a lot. I actually remember like writing the book and both my agent and my publisher being like, I think like if you talk about crying so much, like people will think like, oh, like you, you weren't pushing through it. And I'm like, I wasn't pushing through it. Like I was so sad. Yeah. <laughs> like, and it takes time. Uh, yeah. Like it's not like a magical, like one month and you're, you're done. Like everything's all better. It was a really hard year personally. And the unfortunate part was, yeah, you just have to feel hard feelings. And I cried a lot and dealt with a lot of stuff and, but I also like the fortunate part is that I came out on the other side of that and was like, oh, I can I can push through that stuff. I don't actually need to numb it, even though numbing probably would have felt a little better. Mm -hmm. I can actually get through it, maybe even learn something about myself from it. And and that it, it is OK on the other side, whatever OK looks like, like I can get there. Yeah. And it's interesting because I think so many of us, we fear those hard feelings. Like, and it's totally normal and it's something we're supposed to experience, I guess, but it's easier to numb and it's easier to, to escape. Well, it is easier. And like, that's both a good thing and a bad thing. Like, sometimes I think that it's, it's not all bad to want to do things that will make you feel better. Yeah. I also, it's like, this is like me saying now that like I never eat chocolate or I never eat, like watch Netflix or like, <laughs> I'm like, no, no, no. Like I talk about all these things. Like I took breaks from certain things to sort of learn a bit about myself, but it, it would, I would be lying if I said like, I've never, I don't know, just like binged on Netflix or anything like ever since then. It's really just, I don't know. I think like all the experiments that I've done have brought me to this like place of just like unawareness. So I actually know what I'm doing before doing it mm -hmm. and can make like a more conscious decision of like, do I want to spend the evening watching this? And then, so it's not so much now of just like, oh, I just binge and then feel super guilty about it. Now I'm at a different place where it's like, yeah, I'm going to like take all of today off work or something and I'm totally going to lounge around all day and I'm not going to feel bad about it. Mm -hmm. It's a much different way for me to approach things. Yeah. So for people listening who are, bingers in one way or another whether it's food or netflix or alcohol or shopping what's your first couple steps in terms of advice for them to switch that behavior 
Yeah, I mean, like, uh, I'm always a little hesitant just with, like, food and alcohol only because, like, I'm not, like, a health professional and definitely know that everyone's circumstances and even relationships with those things are totally personal. In general, like, especially with things like shopping or spending, it's, I think my first step always now is, first of all, no one needs to go out and just, like, do a year-long shopping ban. Like, (laughs) I don't give that advice really to anyone because for me, if I really look back at all the changes I've made in my life, especially financially, it's always started with tracking. Mm -hmm. So if people are feeling just, like, not good about their money or unclear about, like, I don't know why they can't seem to move forward financially, stuff like that. It's like my advice is always just track your spending for a while. And on top of tracking, like literally look at those numbers and say, like, how do I feel about this? Like, am I okay with the fact that I spend X number of dollars on this thing or in that part of my budget or whatever? Like, do I feel good about it? Is it moving? Like, is that what I want in my life? If so, great. But usually we're able to find a few things when we do that, that we're pretty happy to cut out if it means that we could have more of what we actually want. But it really like tracking for me, just it creates awareness. It's not about right or wrong. It's not about you've done anything bad. Um, It's literally just like creating awareness about what you're actually doing right now and then figuring out uh, how to move forward. Yeah. Well, and it's that mindful consumption part, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, um, this is like my favorite topic in general, because like now to me, I totally understand what a mindful consumer is. I did not know when I made it up. (laughs) Now I think that if I were to talk about mindful consumption or just being a mindful consumer, it's not just about the things like we're putting into our bodies or the things we're spending money on and bringing into our home. It's also like the information that we consume, how much, and that's like literally everything from media to social media, the books you read, the blogs you read, Mm -hmm. like really paying attention to how much time you're giving to that. And then also how it makes you feel because we're, we, like we were talking about the convenience factor, like everything is very readily available to us, but that can also be extremely overwhelming. And in like all of these areas, I honestly think we're like, pretty close to reaching a critical mass of just like we have too much of everything Mm -hmm. like especially now with things like tv and stuff like this is kind of an off topic or I don't know it's like with Netflix I've gotten to this point where I used to like being in Canadian I used to feel like our Netflix sucked and America's was so great because they had so much (laughs) more and so much better stuff and now I'm like no actually we have way too much now to the point that like I just scroll and scroll and scroll and I can't even make up my mind of like what to pick. Yeah. So then I pick nothing or I end up just watching something I've like already seen or maybe watched a few years ago because it's easier. Like I just can't handle how much choice there is. And so that's another one that now it's like I'm not anti Netflix because I watch it sometimes but I've I've been now on this different train of like I don't know, like, what purpose is it even serving? Like, I literally don't use it for any purpose except to, like, watch reruns at this point. Yeah. Well, and it's so funny. I think there's this trend going around the world that we are so bombarded with, like you're saying, with too much. Like, whether it's too much clutter or, or noise or chaos or social media. Like, I actually was watching something recently that in Japan, people are taking these vacations that are essentially, like, them being in a jail cell where they where they're yeah where they're like alone in the room their meals are sort of served through the door because it's quiet and it's like 
I guess it's a cheaper version of like a meditation retreat. Yeah, interesting. <laughs> but I was like, how how insane that we've gotten to that point in the world where we need, like, we need to pay for an escape. That is so interesting. But then it's um, or like it in a weird sort of hopeful part of that is that people are seeking that out. Yeah, because I actually think like not like people are about to backlash, but I think because we've sort of reached this like critical mass, I think that at some point people are kind of going to say like, okay, here's my cap and I'm kind of done here. This is where I'm willing to go. And then like almost retreating back to old ways, like especially with like digital, I think that we were moving towards the direction of like loving all things technology, loving that like, I don't know, you could have wrist things on your wrist that like track all your things and, whatever and now I think like in general people are like oh but I kind of remember when it was a little bit easier and so I'm gonna go back to that a little bit yeah but we'll we'll see what happens <laughs> so speaking of like what you're talking about is essentially slower living and you did this year of slow living experiments so which of the monthly experiments were the most transformative for you Mm, yeah, so that was something I did for all of 2017 which was the year that I sort of finished writing the book and I was editing and doing a bunch of other stuff. I think that um, I started that year because even just like entering 2017, I had a ton of anxiety and I thought at the beginning that the anxiety was around how much work I had to do because I was on my first big deadline for the book. And um, also at the beginning of the year, there's all kinds of messaging of just like, here's how to make like be your best self this year and all the like normal new year's stuff like just and it's always like comes from a really negative place as though like you're bad or something is wrong with you and like here's how to fix it this year and so I think all around I was just feeling super anxious and and thought of entering this year a little bit slower so I would say like actually one of the first experiments I did is probably the best because I've maintained it ever since which is slow mornings And every morning looks a little different, but the idea is really just to start at a little bit of a slower pace so that I don't feel rushed. Mm -hmm. And it sets the tone for the day because I find like, even if it's only like 10 or 15 minutes, but if I can just start my day with like getting up, making the bed, like getting dressed and like making coffee. And I'll usually turn on like either a podcast or an audio book or something like while I'm doing all of that, just starting at a slower pace, like sets the tone for the day so as I'm having to make decisions or feeling anxious in any way I sort of just learned like okay like if I slow down a little and I'm a little more intentional um, I bet I can do this with a bit of a clearer head Mm -hmm. and that was the first one otherwise I would say I mean I had lots of favorites or ones that were kind of fun like I enjoyed like slow food and I called one slow money, which is like, it does not mean you are slow with your money. <laughs> it was just like a really Just don't good... pay bills. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> like... <laughs> like, you'll get to it later. No, no, no. <laughs> it was um, sort of like a refresh, like of looking at all of my accounts, making sure I had the right one still for me. If I wanted to change anything, change anything with my investments. Like it was just kind of a, a big check-in. And then, but I would say like probably the most transformative was I think when I started it, I called it like slow breathing. And it was because at the beginning of April in 2017, my anxiety had literally peaked. Like I was so intense to the point that there were literally two days where I could barely like 
barely look outside, let alone gather up like the strength to go out into the world. Mm-hmm. And I thought I will just cure this by like meditating and doing some yoga. And within like 24 hours of publishing the blog post, I realized, no, you know what? It's finally time for me to go to therapy. <laughs> and I think that that's something I had probably needed for a long time. But especially if I look back at, again, making so many big changes that I have in my life, and then things like my parents' divorce, I think that therapy is something I have needed for a long time, just for because I realized like my coping mechanisms aren't working anymore. Like the tools in my kit or whatever, like I'm out. Like I just, the things I've been doing are no longer working. I need some help now of to figure out how to move forward. And this was the first time you'd ever done therapy in your life? Ever. I yep. went to um, one session, but it was like forced when I was like 11 years old. And so that didn't do anything for me back then. Yeah. <laughs> and that was one session. This was like the first time as a grown adult where I was like, I need to do this for myself. Yeah. And it was without a doubt. I only actually ended up going for about three and a half months, but that's because it was super unfortunate. Like for anyone who, who's been in therapy to have your therapist say that they're taking a year off their practice is like devastating, (laughs) especially when you've like just, you feel like you've just gotten started, Mm -hmm. but I did it for about three and a half months and she definitely helped with my anxiety, gave me a ton of new tools. I would love to actually go back again later this year. So in 2018 sometime, maybe I think my fingers have been crossed that she'll just like come back to practice and I can just (laughs) go back to her. Cause she was the best. Like I lucked out so hard and that like I found the right one for me right away. Yeah. But it was without a doubt the best money I've ever spent on myself. Oh, good for you. I just have to add on the slow mornings. I, I can imagine there's lots of parents that are listening to this going, my mornings are chaotic. My mornings are crazy. I have to say like I embraced, I have a two year old, so I understand that morning yeah. chaos. I just get up before him <laughs> because I want my quiet coffee and my quiet morning. And I found as someone that deals with anxiety as well, like it just slow mornings, man, they make a huge difference to the way your day rolls out. Well, and I also think too, it's like giving yourself a little bit of grace on like, there are going to be mornings where your kid still gets up before you, (laughs) but like that just because it doesn't work one day doesn't mean you stop trying Mm -hmm. like I think that was even a huge lesson for me during the shopping ban was like there was actually because there was one big moment where I totally just like talked myself into buying something and had to learn from it like old me I would have made that mistake and I would have just been like oh well screw this like why am I even bothering and I would just give up on the whole thing and probably go binge on something Mm -hmm. and I think like one of the best lessons I learned that year was like in trying to change your life like it's okay if you have a day where it doesn't quite work it's not that you've like fallen off the wagon and it's not a permission slip to just like give up it's just like okay like today didn't work out I'm just gonna try again tomorrow and you just like carry on with it so even if you have some mornings that don't work quite right or if you were trying to slow evenings and some of those don't work it's like okay well it didn't work for today but you can try it again tomorrow absolutely so you spoke about being your parents getting divorced when you're in your late 20s. Yeah, I was 29. Yeah. So I, I'm so pleased to be talking to someone about this as a fellow adult child of divorce. And it's just so weird that we're talking about it today of all days, because today is three years from the day my parents um, announced they were getting separated. 
And it's, like, it's so weird that it's today that we're talking about this. Wow. But um, how, so how long are you away from it now? Um, it's actually just been over three years for us too. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So I was 29. I'm 32 now. I'll be 33 in July. Yep. And uh, yeah. So I was like almost 30 years old. And like, I don't know how you felt about it, but like, I was like a devastated five-year-old. Uh-huh. Like, it just like took me to this place that I didn't really expect. Like, I don't think I've spent more time in bed crying in my life, like even through any other any other breakup or anything I've personally had, I was completely devastated. And this wasn't in the book and you don't have to talk about it if you don't want to. But was there like, was it a mutual decision for your parents? Yeah, I mean, like, I never tell like stories in the sense that like, reasons why because it's that's their story to yeah. tell. Yeah. What I will say is that it was shocking and definitely at least like somewhat one-sided yeah like I think like the other party being like okay yeah because I'm not gonna deal with this (laughs) but it was yeah it was definitely like shocking and I think the thing that was shocking was for just everyone it was sort of like one person basically changing and like becoming an entirely different human being and someone like still to this day that like I physically like I don't recognize them. Right? Okay, I am 100% just nodding my head while you're saying this. Yeah. And that's what's so hard. I think, like, parts of it in the beginning, I think, that were hard for me were just that, like, even though you're an adult, you are still a child. Like, it doesn't matter how old you are. I I think especially for me, like, when I was young, it was um, just me and my mom, and... Um, she didn't meet my my dad. I just call him my dad, but he's I guess my stepdad. But like, she didn't meet him until I was seven, seven and a half. Mm-hmm. And I just remember like when it was just the two of us before that. Like we moved like probably every six months. Like we were kind of all over the place. I didn't. I wasn't in any school for longer than six, six or ten months or something like that. And things. I think like as a kid, you don't you don't think out loud like, oh, this is unstable. But like, it definitely was. Mm-hmm. And then within like a year of my mom being with my stepdad we like moved into a house that like is still the house my dad lives in to this day and you know so I've had this then was much more stable upbringing for the rest of my life and it was my family like we've always been very close like they were the people I called when anything happened Mm -hmm. like they were the first people I told and so it just became this thing of like oh, that's not going to exist anymore. Yeah. And everything was just very uncertain. And like, yeah, I think just uh, the uncertainty is like so confused. Like that's what's confusing in the beginning because it felt like something was stable and then it just felt like you're like on moving ground. And yeah. if and one little thing could like move you onto a different course and you don't want to be on that course or like, uh, so like you just, I kept like trying to keep things the same or as the same as possible. Yeah. Well, and it strikes me that the dynamic of where you are in terms of sibling order is so different because you're the oldest child and I'm the youngest. And I mm. and I think of, um, you know, you were talking in the book about sort of feeling like you had to keep it together for your younger siblings. Like, how did that end up, you know, three years on? Are you still sort of playing that role or are you... Um, it's a good question. I think it's one that we continually navigate. So I would say that that is definitely how I've always felt because growing up, that is what almost my job sort of was. Like I, 
I'm eight and 10 years older than my brother and sister. And so, and my dad was um, like for work, he would, he worked for the Canadian Coast Guard. So he was home for four weeks and then gone for four weeks. So basically for half the year he was gone. And I sort of just like had to step into, I don't know, third parent, co-parent, whatever of just like, my mom would say to me, like, as soon as I was 16 and had my driver's license, like, okay, can you pick up the kids after school? Can you take Allie to this? Can you take Ben to that? And that was my responsibility. Like, it, my friends would ask if I wanted to hang out. I'd be like, no, like, I have to drive my sister to figure skating or my brother to taekwondo or, like, whatever. And so I had a very different sort of teenage life, I think, than a lot of my friends did. And so that is just a role that I've always had. And I... I appreciate it in so many ways be- because it has helped my brother and sister and I, I think, like, stay super close. But I think what I realized after, and it wasn't right away, I think it was about two years after the divorce, that I realized I had to let that go and, that and like, start creating boundaries for myself mm-hmm. because I can't just do things for other people. Like, I really had to start doing things for myself and things that would be best for my mental health and also just like trust that they can figure stuff out or ask for help when they actually need it. I think that essentially what happened was like, I just sort of like after the divorce, I just sort of stepped into this role of like, I'm going to try to keep everything as normal as possible so that like things don't change a lot. And I I've had to just let that go and be like, things are like things did change. They changed. That's it. Uh, and I can't prevent it and I can't keep things the way that they were. Like we all have to figure this out. Yeah. So we were sort of talking about this before we started recording three years on what, what are you finding are the things that still trigger you? Cause it's interesting. Like life will never be the same. No. Um, so tr- sorry, trigger me in what way? Uh, like what? Well, I, I don't know about you, but like if one parent, if one parent sort of mentions like their new life Uh, kind of thing, it kind of makes you think, Oh, there was once a time when we were all together or like holidays are a big thing or. The holidays are definitely hard. I find like, I just don't like them anymore, which sucks because I loved Christmas. Like, and not loved Christmas for presents. Like not about that. Like we just like did the same thing every single year. And now we don't. Mm -hmm. And so I just, genuinely don't like it I don't like people are always excited about Christmas and now I'm totally one of those people who it's not like I'm anti but now I get why some people don't like it like because there's or go away yeah totally I'm like there's like pressure there's I don't know it just like it changed things I find like even though we're all adults it's even just changed like we were kind of doing Christmases with no presents and now it almost feels like there's constant like power struggles. And so just, Oh my gosh. Like I just, I just always want to like opt out. So I don't love Christmas. I, I sort of like find like with the, with the one parent who like changed a lot, like I just don't really like spending time with them one-on-one. Yeah. Um, I sort of like need a bit of a buffer. So I need one other person to kind of be around. And then it's just, that's been like the most interesting part, I think, has been realizing that like the one parent is just like not a parent anymore. Mm-hmm. Whereas the other one, and it's like the thing I probably respect the most is that when I need something, 
they show up as a parent and I am the child. And it's not like you're a baby and you need my, my like help because you're like a young child. It's not like that. Yeah. It's just like the proper parent versus child relationship. Like it's it's an actual like they show up as a parent and uh, I just respect it in a way that I never knew I was going to. So Well, and it seems so different from like, obviously, I never went through this as a child, but it from the outside looking in at friends whose parents got divorced when they were younger, it seems like that adult child like dynamic was always prioritized. Like you yep. just sort of shield kids from things. And then it's as it is as though that dynamic completely shifts if you're an adult child going through it because you're, yeah, you're an adult now. Surely you can handle, or so everyone thinks, surely you can handle like going change. Through. Yeah. Totally. I think what's, interesting is that like kids don't know any better yeah like if yeah if you if it happens when you're like two or three or four years old well maybe like two or three like kids don't know any better because they just remember you being separated yeah so that is just what's normal to them and then I think when you're an adult not only because it's not only that you like kind of lose your parents as they are but as an adult, you also have like sort of hopes and dreams for your family mm-hmm. and you have to let go of that stuff too. Yeah. I read this like review. I, I've been so good about not reading reviews because you know, they're good and bad. <laughs> um, but I read this review and the, the person who wrote it definitely got it wrong. Like it really upset me because the things that they wrote were, I knew they were wrong, but an assumption that they made was just that sort of along those lines of like, oh, you should have been able to, like, deal with it, or you should have done a better job at, like, looking at how your parents were feeling and, like, not so much about yourself. And I'm like, no, because, again, I'm a child, so I'm allowed to have feelings. Yeah. Like, and I do, under like, I do, it's taken time, but I do look at both my parents and and figure out, like, or just look at them as, like, they're human beings doing the best that they can. Mm-hmm. And that's what we are all doing. And so, like, there's a lot of forgiveness has happened and, like, stuff like that. Because I'm like, no, like, at the end of the day, we're all just human beings trying to, like, figure this life out. So I know not everything that happened is personal. And you can kind of let go of that stuff as time goes on. Mm-hmm. But it's still just, I'm a child and I'm allowed to have feelings about this. Yeah. <laughs> like, it doesn't matter how old or young you are. 100%. Well, thank you for talking about this because I, yeah. I know it's a sensitive subject for a lot of people, but like I literally couldn't find anyone to talk to about this when I was going through it. And well, yeah, that that was true for me too. I mean, I did have one friend and I talk about her in the book, my friend Claire. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, she lived far away. I'm in Victoria, BC, Canada, and she's in Denver. And so she lived far away, but her parents had split up just maybe like a year or two before mine. So I had her and then my best friend, Emma, I mean, her parents split up when she was like 12, so it wasn't quite the same, but the things that I was explaining to her of how I was feeling, she was able to kind of say things that like probably weren't easy for her to say, like just like the unfortunate parts of you're probably going to deal with this forever. Like when something would happen and it would be really annoying or I was, it would really trigger me or something. She was just like, I'm really sorry, hon, like you're going to have to learn how to deal with this because you know, I'm 20 years into it and it's still happening. Yeah. So it was at least helpful to talk to a few friends who had had some shared experiences, even if you're just like commiserating together. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So before we get into the five questions I ask all my guests, I just <laughs> want to I want to find out what what's next for you. What's your vision for your future? 
Great question. Um, it's funny because the beginning of this year, I've sort of like project wise had a lot of feelings of like wanting to burn things to the ground and start fresh <laughs> and doing it in a very slow way, though, because I don't want to just like just do that and then have everyone be like, whoa, what just happened? <laughs> but just I've been thinking a lot about like it is that like taking time to make intentional decisions about what I want my business to look like and the kind of content I want to be creating like going forward. I also think that a lot has come up for me in doing the amount of interviews that I've done where I've even just been finding answers just by like listening to what I'm saying over and over again. Mm -hmm. So it's been really helpful in a lot of ways to do stuff like this. So I think that one thing for sure, like my biggest intention with the book was or like my goal for it was when whenever someone's like thinking of binging on something or just maybe whatever it is or especially with spending like you know you're thinking of buying a bunch of stuff that maybe you didn't need that we learn how to just sort of like hit pause and figure out what's really going on because I mean I've definitely learned it like the answer is never to binge on a bunch of stuff like that might feel good in the moment but it's not going to help you long term and so to figure out what's really going on and start working on that instead. So that was like my biggest goal with the book. And I'm super grateful that that seems to be happening. My, my thought for like what's next is to keep this conversation going around mindful consumption and very specifically looking at um, technology a lot, like looking at the things that we are consuming online and our just relationships with technology and then that plus like how we're using it to like, or like the things that we're then consuming when we use all of that, like how it's informing decisions we make, but specifically around our spending. Um, and then like whether or not any of that is making us happy. Mm-hmm. I also really want to have conversations about experiments, like about doing experiments like this, because I, I'm finding that I'm hearing like the one side, which is like, oh, this is super restrictive. And yeah, it is in some ways. And like, I also think that that's helpful to sort of at least get, I don't know, like have some kind of rules to at least get started. Like, I also think like, I really want to communicate this thought that like, we can't usually create change unless we're uncomfortable or like that is where the change comes from. Mm -hmm. Like you have to get a little bit uncomfortable. Otherwise, everything's going to stay the same. Yeah. So I want to have some conversations around that and then talk about the different kinds of experiments that you can do if you want to start changing your relationship with some of this stuff and to like become a more mindful consumer of everything, not just of spending. So I would say like the biggest thing for me right now is I'm working on book proposal for my next book. And then, uh, which I like hope will be all around that stuff. Mm-hmm. I also want to start creating some projects that are like just for fun. Yeah. And when I say just for fun, I mean like, it's not like, oh, this will earn me X number of dollars. Like that, that is not the leading motivator. Mm -hmm. I want it to just be like, what kind of content do I want to be putting out into the world? Like that actually feels good to create. Yeah. Like that. It's not just about like selling it or whatever. Like even if maybe at some point it makes you some money. Great. But like, I want to create some stuff that's like just for fun. And also like the one I'm thinking about right now, and hopefully by the time this comes out, 
that I will actually have made this happen. This is like my goal, my summer goal (laughs) is I want to launch a podcast that I do by myself, but like do some interviews with where I record everything when I'm outside going for like walks and hikes. Oh, cool. And part of that is coming from a place of like, I mean, that is where I feel like my best self, but it's also a place where like, I feel like I don't have to be an expert. And I can just say things and it's not about like having all the right answers. It's literally like having conversations and just like figuring stuff out and asking questions and learning things like being curious and, and stuff like that. I think that, um, after all the interviews that I've done or like just after how many I've done, I'm like, there are just some where it's like, you're almost like you have to put yourself on this, like I'm an expert or something. I'm like, no, 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 no. That doesn't feel good to me. Like I'm a human being. We're all human beings like trying to figure this stuff out. I hate the sort of like expert pedestal or like whatever. And whenever I try to put myself on that, I end up like not doing great work. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, I want to do stuff where like in the place where I feel like my best self and just like make mistakes and it'll be a little messy and it probably won't be edited. And I don't know what it's going to look like, but yeah. like, my hope is that it encourages people to not only have conversations, but like maybe get outside more. Well, and people need to follow you on Instagram because it just makes me jealous watching <laughs> your stories. I'm like, uh, oh, I just want to be outside. Like it's stunning. Yeah. Uh, well, I will say like BC and nature does all the hard work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I do. But I do like I think that at first and it will always be this way like being outside is a huge form of therapy for me it's something like a a practice of mine is like especially if I'm working on big projects is like I'll work in the morning and then I have to go for a walk outside in between it's almost like meditative for me like it's like I have to break things up with Mm -hmm. some time outside and I don't have to be in like the beautiful spot but even just going for a walk around the neighborhood Mm -hmm. like I have to do something and yeah and then I have just over time heard more and more people be like oh because of you I like went for my first solo hike or I've just been spending more time outside I'm like oh like I want to follow that and like keep working on that because that feels really good to me yeah and that for me like it's not I can't like make a lot of money by like telling people to go out in nature yeah so business-wise it's not going to do much for me yeah (laughs) but like life-wise I would love to keep encouraging that yeah absolutely So on the five questions that I ask all of my guests, what are the things or the projects, maybe we've touched on them, maybe we haven't, that get you fired up in a really good way? So the podcast, definitely. Mm -hmm. I would also say, not entirely sure, like, when this will happen, if we'll actually do it, but I love talking about it. My um, two girlfriends and I have been talking about creating, um, like, a digital magazine, and again, it's sort of coming from a couple places. One is, like, we it's not about making a ton of money. It's not like that. It's wanting to create something for fun, but also really encouraging people to stop looking outward for advice or for, or like all the ways to do things and to really start like paying attention to what actually feel feels good to you mm-hmm. and to start living in a way that feels good to you. Not because of like, it's the messaging we see all the time. It's in the media. It's on Pinterest. Like none of that. Like what actually feels good to you and crossing all levels of like life, home, food, family, relationships, business. If you work for yourself in any way, like all the things, mm-hmm. uh, money, like I definitely want to cover the money aspect in that. Um, so I don't know when or what this will look like, but we keep having a lot of fun when we talk about it. So yeah, yeah. 
Well, so yours has definitely been one of the most inspiring books I've read in the past few years. But what's the most inspiring book you've read in the past few years? Oh, my gosh. Great question. One that inspired me the most. I think that a bunch of different reasons. So one of the best books I read this year, it's called Indestructible, and it's written by Allison Fallon. And Allison has been one of my favorite bloggers for a long time. She writes a lot about relationships, both externally, but a lot internally, like with yourself. And but the book very much discusses a divorce that she went through. And it was honestly really hard for me to read a lot of it because it felt like she was describing a very abusive relationship I had when I was about 22, 23, 24. Mm -hmm. And so it was hard to read, but also one of those books that when I finished it, I felt like she had like told a piece of my story that I've never been able to tell. I, there was an action she took at the end that forced me then, or just like inspired me to take an action. It was basically just emailing a really old friend of mine who I haven't spoken to in a few years and like apologizing, but also like thanking him for just like being this amazing force in my life for so long. And it was wild. Like it was wild. I read the whole thing in two sittings and was just like, uh, oh my god thank you for being the best ever <laughs> oh great so and she self-published it too so I always love to like support that cause like it's I don't know if you'll see it in bookstores I don't I don't know yeah um, but Indestructible by Alison Fallon definitely of 2018 has been the best I've read so far and then I don't know I mean like I think that I've been really inspired by a lot of Cal Newport's stuff oh I love his stuff yeah, I'm like, I'm calling him like my book husband right now, just because everything <laughs> I read, I'm like, oh, like, I wish I was smart enough to write this myself. But he's also, also like, a, isn't he like a computer geek, essentially? So I'm like, he writes really well for totally. <laughs> well, I think it's job. because he's an academic, though. Yeah. So he's a professor of, I think, like computer science or, or something like that. Yeah. Um, but out of Georgetown, but he's freaking brilliant. Mm-hmm. And definitely, it's like, I don't usually read a lot of stuff that's research-based, but his style of writing makes it really easy and, like, tangible. Like, and, like, he gives, like, these little sort of takeaways or, like, here's, like, a, like, I don't know, like, a conclusion for everything. And it's, it has that feel like it's a little bit academic, but, like, the stuff he's talking about is so important. So it's um, big things are, like, the one I really enjoyed was it's called So Good They Can't Ignore You. Mm-hmm. And that book is basically about not like do not quit your job to just like follow a passion and think it's magically going to work out <laughs> it's very much which I, I I preach that a lot because I've had a lot of people like I, I in my life yes I've created or I've quit my job and worked for myself now for a few years but when people ask about that I'm like yeah but I also like blogged and freelanced for years before that mm-hmm. I did certain work for free I like made the right connections like I took a long time to like build relationships and build up something that I could do that it's not like one day I was just like I want to be a writer and like just quit my job yeah like I really you have to back it on something and even that I'm like I don't know that I ever would have told you I'm like a I'm passionate about personal finance like I don't know that that that's what I would have ever said but that is something that has happened through all the work I've been doing so yeah so I think like that's been a great one uh deep work is amazing it's just about like getting off social media I'm super excited I don't know when it comes out but he's doing one called digital minimalism which I think is 2019 but I don't know but I think that will I mean everything he's done is great so I think that will be great yeah 
Oh, that's fantastic. Well, I will link to those all in the show notes so people can check them out. And, you know, we're talking about a shopping ban. You guys don't have to buy these books. You can get them from the library. The Mm -hmm. library is changing my life. So I also think like finding other ways, like I think asking friends if they own it. I also think like vice versa, like borrowing from friends, like lending your own stuff. It's surprising how many people buy things, but maybe they, and it's like, this is a lot of books. You read it once and then it sits on your shelf. So like you might have a lot of people in your life who have the book. And even considering, yeah, cost sharing, like a friend and I share an Audible account. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. So do you have a favorite quote or words that you live by? Mm, Good question. I would say no in the sense that like, there's there's nothing that comes to mind. I definitely am someone though like quotes have helped me at so many different stages in my life. Mm-hmm. I think I sort of have a bit of a mantra right now this year and I think it's because like my my business and and income has been like pretty uncertain so far this year and so I but like I have money and I feel comfortable enough but I've yeah, it's like super uncertain. And something I keep reminding myself is I have never gotten in a financial situation I couldn't get myself out of. Mm-hmm. So whenever I have like any kind of money anxiety, I remind myself of that. And I think those are true words for most people in their life, right? Like bar certain health circumstances, usually we can figure out a way out. It's just a reminder that you do have control. I think it's very easy to feel like, your life is out of control, Mm -hmm. but like we need this constant reminder sometimes like, no, like all you have to do is realize that like you are the boss. You are the boss of all of these things. And it doesn't mean you're going to have overnight change or overnight success or anything, but you are in control of whatever point saying like, oh, I'm not happy with this thing anymore. I'm going to do something different now. Yeah. So yeah. So I think that it's like something I tell myself with finance, but you're right. I could apply that to all kinds of things. Yeah. What's the best life lesson you've learned or advice that you've been given? I think the first thing that is coming to mind is it's, and I just want to make sure I say this sort of the right way. So, Mm -hmm. or maybe it's like almost two parts. Something that I noticed towards the end of like the year of last, like the real life version of that was that I had started thinking about quitting my job and started telling more people and every person I told it sort of made it like I was, I was going to do this. Like I felt a little more confident in it. But then there were a few people I told, like three specifically, who when I told, their reaction was like, oh, yeah, of course, you're going to do that. And you're going to be great. And what was interesting is that I think like the lesson for me was like, sometimes people can see things in you that you can't see in yourself. Mm -hmm. But the other part of it, and like what I've really had to learn just like, with experiments with like things like that, in general, is like, sometimes you just have to try when I look back at like who my parents were growing up, who like the kinds of environment I grew up in and um, just the different risks that kind of they took, but they weren't huge, but like even just they weren't afraid to try things and like get it wrong and learn from it and make mistakes and whatever. And like they were just okay with trying and like had the confidence that they could figure it out. And I didn't have that, honestly, until that year, Mm -hmm. like until I got closer to finishing that experiment and was like, oh, that was a big, hard thing. And I did it. And now I'm going to quit my job. And like, that's terrifying. But like, I think I can do it, too. And also, like, even if I can only do it for six months, it will be worth it. And I just think like I had never 
come from anything at a place of that, of just like trying and figuring it out. And then when I really look back at my childhood and stuff, like I think that's something my dad tried to instill in me was just try. And I never, I don't know, I think I was probably or am probably like a recovering perfectionist. Like I was always so afraid of getting it wrong. So I just didn't bother. Yeah. And in so many things now, I'm like, I'm just that much more willing. I'm still scared sometimes. Like when I go for hikes, even like I'll see my friends do certain things on hikes. I'm like, I can't do that. I can't do that. I can't do that. And then I do it. And I'm like, oh, hey, I did that thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, and and it's just like that little bit of confidence that like it's at least worth trying. And like if it doesn't work out, then then OK. And, and like it, or if you make a mistake, you can learn from it. Like it's not the end of the world. And that trying can be so beneficial not just in learning a new skill, but like then the confidence that comes after that. I have the biggest smile on my face because you've just articulated like, this is why this podcast and my blog are called Girl Tries Life. Yeah. Because you don't get it right every time and that's fine. Just put one foot in front of the other. And like I said before, I've like, you know, when you have one bad day or whatever, it's not like you can like should fall off the bandwagon and never do it again or just give up entirely or go and like that's an excuse now to go and forget about it or it's also not the reason of like oh see I, I proved it like I can't do that thing and so yeah. I'm just not gonna bother it's not about that like just learn from it yeah. and just like carry on or like maybe and maybe it isn't the right thing for you and you just change directions and try something else like that's okay but like at least trying opens you up to the idea of if it's even possible or not or if it interests you or not I love it Well, final question, Kate, is what does it mean to you to live your best life? I would say to continually ask myself just like if it feels good, if it feels like I'm on the right track and to make sure that if it doesn't, that I know how to shift gears or just like, I guess, try to shift gears and like figure out what will feel better. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Thank you for having me. This was awesome. 